I V M. Hello and welcome to the Habit Coach Podcast. I am Ashton Doctor, your Habit Coach, and today we're going to be talking about the athlete's mindset. You know, this is something that I'm a big fan of understanding because whenever you think about athletes, you think about the pinnacle of what the human body can do, the pinnacle of determination, the pinnacle of focus and concentration. And in fact, when I'm feeling low on motivation and feeling low on, you know, wanting to work out, I look at athlete videos to get me charged up about it. So it is getting that mindset in. And with us, we have a fantastic guest who's going to discuss this and his experiences on becoming a pro athlete. So Dre Baldwin, welcome to the Habit Coach Podcast. Thank you for having me, Ashton. I'm excited to be here. Excited to share with your audience. Thank you so much. Dre, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, well, my background's from the city of uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Now I live in South Florida. I'll give you the, the three-minute version of my background. And I uh, was always into sports, Ashton, and played a little bit of uh, American football, or at least I started to, didn't really actually get into it, played some baseball. I eventually found my way to basketball around the age of 14, which is actually pretty late for an athlete who wants to go somewhere and do something in their sport, playing college, let alone the pros. And didn't make my high school team till I was a senior and didn't play that much that year. Walked on in college, meaning I didn't have a scholarship. Nobody knew who I was, but was able to make the team. But I was playing at the Division three level, which is just the third tier of college sports. And most of the pro athletes that we know of come from the Division one level, not Division three. So it's not like I had great prospects for making it pro even after playing in college. But I was... After a year removed from graduation, I worked for a year at a couple of quote unquote regular jobs. Then I went to this event called an exposure camp, which is basically a job fair for athletes. And I basically played my way into professional basketball in that event. It was only two days and it's not a free event. You had to pay your own money. So basically you're paying for basically a chance to go to a casting call is basically what I went to. And I did pretty well at that event. And from that event, I went and got myself a basketball agent. And an agent in basketball is the same as any other agent, like literary or acting. That agent helped me get my first job. And that started a nearly 10-year career of traveling the world, mostly in Europe, and playing professional basketball. And at the same time that I was doing that, I started putting videos on this new website called YouTube. And this was 2005, so I do literally mean brand new. All the content then was basketball-related. But after a few years, these players, they started asking me questions about just the mindset because they heard about my background, like I just told you, and even more detail. And they would just ask, well, man, how did you, why'd you keep trying? You know, how did, why'd you keep working on your game? Why'd you, how did you stay confident enough to believe it was going to work out? And then you know, what kept you mentally focused on the goal, even though you had all these setbacks and all these times when it looked like that goal absolutely was not going to happen. So when I, and they would ask how I got started kind of getting a name on the internet, because then it's, I started to have a name online when YouTube started to become popular because I was on YouTube before it was YouTube and people wanted to know, well, how can I do that? Maybe I won't go play overseas, Dre, but maybe I could be a YouTuber. Again, way before we were calling it YouTubers. And I just started answering those questions in my content and I started formulating the foundation of my whole business and philosophy, which I'm sure we're going to get into. Just talking discipline, confidence, mental toughness, personal initiative. So these are now both happening at the same time. So then when I stopped playing basketball in 2015, I already had a, I already had this momentum of building my brand on the internet. I already had started creating all this content. I had already been writing books. I already had established my philosophy out there and already had this audience of people, mostly basketball players, but I was starting to draw an audience when I started talking about those mindset tools, Ashton. 
I started to draw an audience of people who were not basketball players. And these people would say, look, I'm not following you because I play sports. I'm following you because when you talk about mindset, everybody needs those elements. And the way that you explain it, Dre, even though you're talking to basketball players, I understand it. And that applies to me as well. So this planted a seed in my mind that, all right, when I get done playing ball, I already know exactly what I'm going to do. Because a lot of athletes, I don't know if you or your audience knows, a lot of athletes, when they stop playing their sport, they have no idea what they're going to do next. So I already knew what I was going to do. So the day that I stopped playing, I already knew, I mean, I was already doing it. So all I had to do was now I could take that same time that I was putting into basketball and now I can dedicate it to my business. And that's exactly what I've been doing uh, full time for the last six years. So here we are. Wow, what a journey that is. Mm. But Dre, how did you get into sports? Like, why did you decide to become an athlete? What was it? Uh, was there something inside that was calling for you? Like, wh- what was your mindset at that point of time? Sure. I mean, where I just, it's just who I am as a person. I was always into sports. I mean, I'm, I always had the athletic gene. I was, I mean, you know, growing up in my small little, in my little section of my neighborhood, I was, one of the most athletic kids, you know, I'm a little bit taller. I'm, I'm six feet, four inches tall, 193 centimeters. So I'm pretty tall. I'm athletic. I got long arms, you know, I'm black. So I must be good at basketball, you know? So I was always, I was always into sports, you know, and I was you no know, following sports. My father was into sports. He wasn't an athlete. He didn't play, but he was into sports. He would watch sports on TV, football, baseball, basketball, whatever. So that's what I was around and in the neighborhood and the environment that I come from on a young man, that's what we do. We go outside and we play sports. You're either outside, you know, you're either chasing girls, you're standing on the corner or you're playing sports. It's basically the three things you're doing or you're trying to make music. You might be trying to rap. I never had the musical thing, but those other things, you know, those are your options. So okay. being that I saw sports and I had that athletic gene in me, that's what drew me to sports. And there's a definite mindset between athletes and non-athletes, right? Do you see something like that? The connection between the two, you're saying? The, the, there's a different mindset between oh, what difference. athletes have and, and what non-athletes have. Is, is that something that is clear? Yeah, it depends on what type of non-athlete you're talking about because there's a lot of different types of people. Okay. Um, so what is it about the athlete mind that is unique? Man, about the athlete mind that's unique that I would say is different from people who don't play sports is, number one, the performance culture. And I think that connects to, it depends on what type of work you do. Someone who never played a sport, they can understand that depending on their upbringing, where they, who they were around and what their influences were and what kind of career did they get into. But in sports, everything is based on performance. Sports is a 100%, not 100%, let let me me correct myself. It is the closest thing to a meritocracy you're going to see in life is sports. Mm -hmm. More than anything in business, definitely not in business more than anything in anything in the thought leadership world or even the entrepreneurship world, it is 100%, not 100%, the closest thing to 100%, a meritocracy, meaning the best performers and the best players are usually the ones who get rewarded, recognized, and you know, compensated for what they do. The reason that that is, as I like to explain to people, is that sports have a scoreboard. And that scoreboard is the, mo- the most objective judge you're ever going to come across in life. Because anytime you turn on a sports game, ask them, what sports are you into? Do you watch or play any sports? I like Formula One, so that's what I watch. Formula One? Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. So when you, let's say you turn on a Formula One race while it's in the middle of the race, the first thing you're looking at is, 
I think they put it like in the corner of the screen. They show you Correct. who's in first, who's in second. Like, what did, I don't even know what they call that. Like, what order the, the cars are in, right? At the, that's the scoreboard. That is the scoreboard of a Formula One race. You turn on the basketball game, the first thing you look for is what's the score? Who's winning? Who's losing? How much time is left in the game? And that scoreboard, the great thing about the scoreboard, as opposed to every other aspect of life, is that when the Chicago Bulls play against the New York Knicks, the Bulls and the Knicks both agree, and the fans of both teams both agree, that the scoreboard will objectively tell us who won and who lost. And everyone agrees that the scoreboard is the judge. In Formula One, we agree, whoever crosses the, the checkered line first is the winner. And who comes and who does it next is second place. And we all agree to that. And of every other aspect of life, I mean, for example, just this past weekend, Ashton, I came from a conference and there were like 25 different people got on the stage and spoke. Who was the best speaker at the conference? How do we know? We don't know that everybody can have a different opinion. Is the best speaker the person who made the most money? Is it the person with the most followers on Instagram? Is it the person who got the most laughs in the audience? Is the person who had the most time on stage? How do we know? Everything is so subjective in the, the business world, the thought leadership world, the entrepreneurship world. You know, I've written books. Other people wrote books. Whose book is better, mine or theirs? How do we judge? We can't even agree on what the scoreboard is. But in sports, we all agree on the scoreboard. So the best thing to answer your question here is, number one, the performance and results-based culture. That's the biggest thing. And that's, you know, interestingly enough, it's the number one thing that draws non-athletes to me these days is most of the people that I work with are not athletes and because I don't really talk about sports that much anymore they are drawn to me because everything that I talk about is based on let's see what we can objectively agree on and how we can measure results based on something objective because that's the way sports works and just the way that my mind works is that we have to figure out what can we objectively measure what can we all agree on and in these days in the world today, I mean, I don't know how it is over there in India, but I'm sure you see what's going on in the United States. We can't agree on anything when it comes to measuring anything, nothing. We can't agree on science anymore. So it's the best thing about sports is that we all agree on that one thing and everyone goes off of that. OK, I came in second and there's no argument and there's no there's no uh, appeal process. Now you just got to get better. You have to work on your game and improve. And then we come back next time and let's see what we can do the performance and results-based business that we're in. And life is the exact same thing. You know, life is a performance-based business, is a results-based business, because in the end, nobody's really going to care about the, the story behind what you did unless you produced results with what you did. When you produce results, then people want to know about your story. But until you produce results, nobody cares about your story. Absolutely. You know, in fact, I was just working at one of my businesses, and this is what we were working on. What is the way that we're going to keep score and measure our progress? Because if right. we don't do that, there's no point. We're just doing busy work till that point of time. Till we mm -hmm. know where we're headed. What's our scoreboard? Love it. We're going to take a quick break. See you on the other side. Welcome back. Let's jump into the conversation. Dre, you were talking about four aspects that you focus on. What are these four aspects? Sure. The, the four the pillars of the whole working game philosophy. First one is discipline, showing up every single day, doing the work. Then there's confidence, putting yourself out there boldly and authentically. Next, mental toughness, which is continuing to show up, doing the work and putting yourself out there boldly and authentically, even when the success that you have expected to achieve as a result of your discipline and confidence has yet to occur. And the last one is personal initiative. That's taking all of this mental stuff, this mindset stuff, and actually putting it into action. It's taking that 
uh, potential energy and turning it into kinetic energy, go making things happen instead of waiting for things to happen. So those are the four pillars of the philosophy. Wow. Can we deep dive into each one of them? Sure. You want to dive into each one? Mm-hmm. Let's said? do that. Sure. So the first one is that discipline. And the way I explain that is just letting people know that's showing up every single day and doing the job. And these are in order of importance and also in the order in which they get the order in which you're going to need them in life. And discipline is number one. If I had to only keep one, it would be discipline showing up every day. And this is how I was able to build myself from those very humble beginnings as an athlete into a professional was just that I would show up every day to the, the basketball park by myself with my ball and just practice. And so I just figured out how to become a better player. I didn't have anyone training me or teaching me. This is before YouTube was out. I was just learning how to play basketball. So it's not like I could watch somebody else and say, all right, let me just do what uh, this guy did or let me mimic this person's drills. There was no drills, there was no smartphone. So I was just trying to just figure it out on my own. And at the same time, my parents who were, again, not athletes, but they would get up every day and they would go to work. And that's what I saw as a kid. I just saw my parents every day getting up, going to work. And I know they didn't always feel like going to work, but they went to work and they didn't preach about it, but I noticed it. So then as I grew into an adult, I did what I saw. You know, what I saw was somebody good enough going to work every day. So I just took that same discipline that was modeled for me and I applied it to the sports world. And now I apply it in the business world. So number one is that discipline, just showing up all the time. And what I found and Ashton, I'm sure, you have found this as well, is that sometimes just showing up every single day is your competitive advantage. If you can just keep showing up. And I mean, this show that we're on right now, uh, your show comes out every single day. And is, it only makes sense that we're here because my show comes out every single day. <laughs> where wow. We put these things out every single day. And just that showing up, just being in the room consistently, sometimes the only thing that you need. If you're in the room more often than other people, then opportunity finds you. And you find opportunity simply because you're there where opportunity can actually you know, meet you where you're at. So that's number one, discipline. And that, dis- are you going to ask questions? So I was going to say, Trey, how do you build that in? Like, I know so many people who write in saying that I don't have any discipline. I don't even know how to start creating discipline, right? Like when you're working with your clients, like what is the first thing you tell them about discipline? Or, or what is that one thing that you say that this is what you have to do from now onwards? Well, everybody has discipline. So whenever someone says that they don't have discipline, they're actually... It's not that they're lying, it's just that they don't realize that they have discipline. So even if someone, when someone says, I don't have any discipline, well, they're actually showing you their discipline. They're disciplined in telling themselves. And so there's already, the discipline is already there. There's discipline in someone, procrastination is a discipline. It might not be working the way that you want it to, but it is a discipline. It's something that you're doing. It is a habit or behavior that you're doing over and over and over again. And there's some, maybe some consequences that come with it, but that is a discipline. So the first thing that I tell people about discipline, and let's just say we step out of that, someone wants to develop a positive discipline for something that maybe they're not so excited about. Let's just say someone wants to write a book or they want to start a blog, but they can't find themselves the time or energy to sit down at the computer and type, or they want to get in better shape, but they can't move themselves to go to the gym or to get down on the floor and do their pushups, whatever, or go outside and ride their bike or run, whatever. The thing that I tell people is they need to find themselves an anchor. And an anchor is the thing that you care about or you desire strongly enough that you're willing to deal with discipline in order to get it. So for example, someone hates, they want to get in shape, but they hate going to the gym, right? But 
then they get engaged and they know they're going to get married in four months, but they want to look great in their wedding photos. Right? Everybody wants to look good in their wedding photos, but this person feels they look at themselves and they say, well, I'm about you no know, 25 pounds away from where I want to be in my wedding photos. Now they know in order to get that 25 pounds off, they need to go to the gym, but at the same time, they hate the gym. So now we got a battle. Which one is stronger, your hatred of the gym or your desire to lose that 25 pounds? And if the desire to lose the 25 pounds is stronger than your hatred of the gym, then you will deal with the discipline of the going to the gym that you hate because you want to lose that 25 pounds more than you hate the gym. So that's what the anchor is about. It's what do you want or care about strongly enough that you're willing to deal with things that you might not even enjoy in order to get them. And this is the exact reason why people have coaches. This is the reason why we have masterminds. This is the reason why we join programs or hire personal trainers that because we know that that person or that program that we get involved in is not necessarily they're going to tell us so many enlightening things that we never knew or that we never thought of. And I'm sure Ashton, as a coach, you probably have clients who you're never, you're not telling them anything that they don't know. But the fact that they have you as a coach is because even people who listen to your show, the reason why they tune in is not because you're going to tell them something brand new and you have to pull a rabbit out of your hat every day for them. Is because you are going to hold them accountable to the things that they already know. And it doesn't mean it doesn't make somebody weak or wrong or it doesn't mean anything's wrong with somebody. If they get someone to help hold them accountable to the things that they already know or to information that they're already privy to, it's just that as human beings is one of the laws of thermodynamics is that if we are left on our own is the law of entropy. Anything that's left on its own to its own devices will eventually fall into disarray. It will just go in all different directions and everything's going to fall apart. So this is why, I mean, I come from being a professional athlete. Every professional athlete has a coach. There's no professional sports team that doesn't have a coach. Every professional player has usually in the off season, we have trainers. Uh, we all have these things. So in the entrepreneurship world is not a requirement, but many of us have either an accountability partner, a mastermind group, a coach, or we're in some type of program, something that can hold us accountable to the things that we're doing so that we don't just get all out of, out of whack when left to our own devices, because this is just what happens with human beings. So to answer your question there, the number one thing for creating that discipline is having that anchor. And that anchor can be an idea in your mind. It can be another person. It can be a program. It can be a system. Anything that's just going to make sure that you're held accountable and staying in the space that you're supposed to be in for achieving the goals that you say you want to achieve. Fantastic. Discipline, the most important thing, get yourself an anchor. If you can get yourself an anchor, right. you know you're going to get disciplined and, and get it in place. Fantastic. What's right. the second one, Ray? The second thing is confidence. Okay. And the reason why these go in order is because discipline actually creates confidence. Now, usually, whenever I ask people, you know, what's the number one internal trait that you want to get better at or you want more of? Very rarely does anybody say discipline. Very rarely does anybody say, Dre, I just need more discipline. Somebody help me out. No, nobody asks for discipline. Most people ask for confidence. Most people say, I just want to feel better about myself. I want to have more self-esteem. I want to have a healthier self-image. Now, sometimes I get people coming to me saying discipline because they know what I'm about. But if I just ask a random group of people, it's going to be confidence. And the way that I describe confidence is you unlocking and living with your highest level of self-belief and putting yourself out there boldly and authentically. The way that discipline creates confidence is, first of all, we got to understand what confidence is. Definition of confidence is your belief in your ability to do something. Simple as that. Now, how do you get a belief and ability to do something? Is by doing it. 
And so when you're disciplined, for example, let's say you're an athlete, you go to the gym every day and work on your game, you're going to have more confidence when you get in the game because you know you've done the work. And the more you play in games, the more confident you, you will be in future games because you have the experience of being in the game. The more often you do a thing, the more confident you get at doing the thing. This is why they say perfect practice makes perfect performance. Not just practice alone, but intentional practice makes for a higher level of performance. So that's where the confidence comes from. It comes from the discipline of doing the work on a consistent basis. And the other thing about confidence is this, is that it's not just about doing the work all the time. It's also about what you can unlock in yourself mentally, however you need to do it. And there are many different angles from which we can approach it. One, for example, is this a, a little anecdote that I usually share when I give uh, keynotes, and I talked about this in my books. There was this kid playing on a, his school basketball team, and he was maybe the 10th best player on the team, Ashton, and just a mediocre player, even on his best day. But one particular day in practice, the coach says, today we're going to do an experiment, and I'm going to have each of you players pretend to be somebody else. You're each going to be one of your teammates. So he just went around the room, and he just assigns of 12 players on the team. He says, all right, you're going to be him, you be him, you be him. He just assigns to each player to pretend to be one of their teammates. Now, the players are finding this interesting because they never did anything like this, and they get to kind of make believe in practice today. So it's a, it's a breaking of the routine. And this player, the storyteller, he just gets randomly told to be his teammate who's the best player on the team. His teammate was named Mike. So this guy who's the 10th best player on the team, his role, his assignment in practice today is to pretend to be the best player on the team. So I usually ask, and I'll, I'll pose the question to you, Ashton, and everyone in the audience can play along. How do you think our storyteller, 10th best player on the team, how do you think he played in practice on this day when his job is to be the best player on the team? Just like Mike, he killed it. Yeah, dominated, right? Yeah. And that's exactly what he did. He had this great day in practice. He's making all these shots. He's doing all these moves that he never did before. His teammates are looking at him wide-eyed and slack-jawed. They're like, where is this coming from? Because he had been on the team the whole year, but he had never done any of this stuff. So he's doing all this stuff. And everybody's like, man, where is this coming from? Like, why don't you do this every day? And at the end of practice, the coach says to him, listen, if that's what it takes, you need to pretend to be Mike every day. This is what you need to do. And he had tapped into this whole confidence thing, the framework that I use to describe this is what I call the super you, unlocking and living with your highest level of confidence. And the reason that I tell that story is to illustrate to people the following point, that confidence is not just about the discipline of showing up every day and doing the work, because the story that I just told you, that kid, he wasn't practicing those moves every day. He just came out of nowhere and did these moves one day. This came out of nowhere, at least to everybody else. The thing is, confidence is also you giving yourself license and permission to no longer conform to being the person that you've always been. That's also confidence. It's letting yourself know, look, I know I've been in this box for the last five years, but I don't have to be this person anymore. I don't have to keep doing the things that other people expect of me. I don't have to be what everybody else wants from me. I am giving myself permission to no longer live in this space. I'm going to step into a different space. And that's something that you know, even somebody like myself, you know, transitioning from being an athlete to getting into the entrepreneurship world, I still hear from people to this very day who say, well, Dre, I like when you would talk more about basketball stuff. Well, you want to see my basketball stuff, go watch my old videos. You know, I don't talk about that's, that's not my thing anymore. I'm doing something different. now. I have moved on. And you have to have the confidence to move on in those things. A lot of people in life, they put they get themselves into a certain space and they find themselves in a certain box and 
they don't have the confidence to give themselves permission to step out of it. So therefore they stay in it longer than they need to be there. They stay in it even when they no longer, they know that that's no longer who they are, but because they haven't given themselves the license to step out of it, they just stay there. And that's part of confidence as well. It's just allowing yourself to no longer conform to who you've always been. And when it comes to confidence, sometimes I get asked about, well, what about overconfidence? What if I get too confident? Might that become a problem? And I say to people, well, if you really look at your life, how many times in the last year have you found yourself getting in trouble for being too confident? Now, how many times has too much confidence got you actually in trouble? And most of the time, people laugh when I ask that question. When I'm speaking to an audience, people just, you hear the chuckles because people can't even think of a time. It sounds like a ridiculous question. Right? When have you been too confident? Never happens. And then I ask them, okay, how many times have you not been confident enough? How many times have you just not said something when you had something to say? You didn't take advantage of an opportunity that was right there in front of you. You did nothing when you saw you had a chance to do something. And now you got to live the rest of your life knowing that you passed on that opportunity and people just nod their head. They're like, yeah, they can, you can figure something that happened just yesterday. Right. So which one would you rather do? Would you rather be too confident or not confident enough? Most people don't even know what it feels like to be too confident. So let's not worry about something that has never even happened. <laughs> let's, let's worry about the thing that does happen. So that's how I describe confidence. And there's so much to unpack there. I love the overconfidence analogy. It's like almost overtraining, right? People are so scared of overtraining when they, when they go to right. the gym. And, and like Anand Schwarzenegger says, you'll never overtrain. You have no idea what overtraining is like. So don't even worry right. about it. And what you said was so powerful, which was the allowing yourself to be different. You know, we get so caught up in our sense of identity and, and where we say that I'm like this, I'm like this, I can't change, I can't change. You know, confidence is allowing yourself to get out of that as well. And the way that you, that you look at it. Beautiful. Right. Jay, what's number three? The third element is mental toughness. That is your willingness to keep being disciplined and being confident, even when the success you've expected has yet to show up. So by this point, now we talked about the discipline and the confidence. And if I'm explaining this to someone who's never heard it before, they're excited, they're motivated, they're inspired, they're ready to go, right? They're ready to jump over a wall. But at the same time, we got to let them know just because you have this formula here doesn't mean everything's going to work out. And we all know any of us who has any experience in life, we know that, as they say, real life alters the lab test, right? We think it's going to work a certain way. We read the book. We got the coaching. We got all hyped up from the event that we went to. Then we go out and there into the world and try to apply these things that we have heard. And it doesn't work. It doesn't produce the exact perfect results that we expected. And this is where mental toughness comes in, because mental toughness is the mental toughness really could encompass everything that we're talking about here. But it's about. How do you deal with the inevitable setbacks, failures, and you no know, false starts that are going to occur in life? Because even when you are disciplined, you show up every single day. As I said, you no, know, that gives you the opportunity to get lucky, to get found, to get discovered for things that happen for you. Just because you show up doesn't mean you're going to get lucky. Just because you show up doesn't mean something's going to work. Just because you go to the park every day with your basketball doesn't mean you're going to become a professional basketball player. So it's understanding that discipline alone sometimes isn't going to give you the result that you want. And even with confidence, I mean, you can be the most confident person in the world and still miss the game winning shot in the basketball game. You could still go and ha have a conversation with a prospect and they don't buy the product that you're selling. You could still launch your new sales funnel and nobody buys anything. You don't get any traffic. So just because you do a thing and you have been doing all the work and doing everything right, quote unquote, doesn't mean everything's going to work out in your favor. So mental toughness is really about 
how do you handle those inevitable situations when things are not working? So when you face the, for me, getting cut from a high school basketball team or not having a scholarship to play college basketball when I initially showed up or graduating from college and not having any prospects for playing pro, but I still wanted to play pro. All of those things are setbacks and challenges that for the most part, if you really look at the statistics, a bunch of players get cut from the high school team, they stop playing. Then there's a, only a, not all of them even go to the college level. Then those who don't make it in college, they fall off. They're not playing anymore. And then at the pro level, there's only a few still there. And those who don't get on at first, they stop trying. So by the time I actually became a pro, I wasn't even competing against the whole wide world of basketball players. I was competing against a very small subset, just those who had continued to ascend and those who had continued to try. Maybe some of them had been having success, maybe more than me. But I wasn't competing against everybody anymore because all I had to do, like with the discipline, keep showing up, keep being disciplined, keep being confident, keep believing in this idea that I had that at the time might have looked like a pipe dream more than an idea. But I kept showing up and that's how I was able to make it happen. So this is really just about dealing with the things not working, dealing with the setbacks, dealing with life telling you no. And life telling you no doesn't mean it's saying it explicitly. It just means you tried something and it didn't work or you thought you had a perfect plan and you got the exact opposite result from what you expected. How often are you, how often can you be told no and still show up the next time with the same level of enthusiasm that you had before? I've heard the saying that anyone can get anything that they want in life as long as they're willing to be told no a thousand times. Mm. But most of the time, Ashton, you don't need to be told no a thousand times before you get a yes. It's just the willingness to be told no a thousand times. And what I've found, I heard Napoleon Hill say this in one of his old lectures, is that how many times do most people need to be told no before they quit? It's somewhere between zero and one, right? Because yeah. many people tell themselves no before they even ask the outside world. They tell themselves no and they never even start. And then other people, they get told no one time and they never come back. So that's what mental toughness is about. You know, this reminds me of podcasting, for example, during the lockdown, everybody bought a mic and everybody started podcasting, right? right. So people would come and ask me, aren't you worried that there's, there's so many new podcasts coming, it's going to dilute the market and this and, and we're typically the top 10 podcasts in the country, right? So I was like, no, you don't realize this, but 75% of the people are going to start are going to stop within the first two months. Because they realize that only four people are listening to them. And that's going to completely demotivate them because they don't realize that they have to just keep on carrying on. You're not going to have 200,000 downloads in the first day. You're not going to have all of that, right? So that's exactly what it is. Even with YouTube, the way that you started, and I'm sure there's so many people who want to start, A, they they don't even get the channel up. So that is getting a no before getting a, getting rejected once. And then they don't see any traction, so just stop. So continuing and keeping on, very, very important. Lovely. Absolutely. What's the fourth one? Fourth principle is personal initiative. And this is when you take everything we're talking about here so far is internal. It's mindset. But now how do we actually make this into something tangible? That's when you go make things happen instead of waiting for things to happen. So the personal initiative piece, I mean, I could say this about all four of these elements is that it's the most important element because without all four of these, I wouldn't be where I'm at. And actually nobody would create the success they've created in their lives without these four elements, even though they might not have been thinking about them consciously. So personal initiative is your willingness to go first, your willingness to be a leader and go and do something and kind of be that person who can start a fire where there's no fire, because that's what, that's what entrepreneurs do. That's what leaders do. 
And that's what the very phrase initiative is about. Initial initiative, the root word is initial. Initial means first, right? And they say initial, put your initials on this contract. I mean, the first letter of your first name and of your last name. They, they want to know, are you going to go first? And it's personally taking initiative. You deciding yourself, I am going to go do this thing. And again, people who get into power in their lives, people who make things happen, people who become pioneers, people who bring something new to the table and bring something new to their industry and to the world are people with personal initiative because they're willing to go first and put themselves out there even when nobody else is already out there, nobody's asking for them, but they put themselves out there anyway. That's what taking personal initiative is about. And when I just think of my own situation and playing sports, so let's say after college, I wanted to play pro. And again, I, I went to a division three college and I played okay in college, but I didn't set the world on fire. And even if I had professional basketball scouts are not looking at division three players, they're looking at players from the division one level, because that's supposed to be the, the highest tier of player. So for me to play pro basketball, it's not like I just went home and waited for the phone to ring because that, that phone was not going to ring. I had to go and find the opportunity. I had to go look. I'm on Google looking. Where can I go find an opportunity for me to get myself seen, heard, and known? And then when I saw that opportunity, again, they weren't calling me. I was calling them. And as I told you earlier, that exposure camp that I went to in 2005, that camp was not free. I called them and sold them on taking my money so I could try to become a pro basketball player, right? That's, that's what personal initiative is. So I, I remember I had to pay them, it was $250 in cash, US dollars. And I paid it at the door because I didn't even have a bank account or a credit card at the time. So I said, hey, can I pay in cash at the door? And they said, yeah, you can pay in cash. They didn't care, they just wanted the money. So they took my money. And this is a gym with 200 basketball players in there. We're all trying to impress somebody so we can, we're all trying to get the same jobs. So we're all trying to impress. and. That two days of that exposure event was basically to make or break for my career because I didn't have a lot of disposable cash to invest in. Now like I can go to 10 of these events. I didn't have the money to go to 10. I had the money to go to one. So I had to do something with that one event. And even then, after that event, as I said, I, I said it quickly in the introduction here, but after that event was over, I went back home after the event. Now, I had a good scouting report, which is basically the just my people just talk about what they saw in me at that camp and it was good. And I had video footage of me playing there, but I did not sign a contract at the event. It's not like a pro basketball team ran up to me and said, Hey, we want to sign you right now. They gave me a good scouting report, the, the evaluators from the camp, but nothing imminent happened with my career there at the event. So I went back home to Philadelphia at the time I was working at a, a fitness gym called Valley total fitness selling memberships. And now I had this scouting report in this video, so I still needed to get myself a job. So I figured the best way for me to get a job playing professional basketball overseas is I need to reach out to someone who already knows those people overseas. Because I'm in Philadelphia. I had barely been out of the, the state, let alone out of the country. So I didn't know anybody in Europe. So how am I going to get a job in Europe? I don't even know anybody and nobody knows me. So I figured who knows people over there? That's when I started looking to the agent. So the agent was like the middleman. They know people overseas and they know players. So I, all I figured I needed to do, this was just my theory. I did not know this was going to work, but my theory was, let me find someone who already has the connections. If I can sell myself to them and sell them on who I am, then they will go sell me to the people that they know. So I was basically looking for a connector, someone who already had the network. So I reached out to Ashton. I sent I either cold called or cold emailed 60 basketball agents. 
Now, again, remember, this is 2005. So this is not Instagramming. This is not you no know, YouTubing. They weren't coming and finding me. I was finding them through Google searches and I was literally calling them, cold calling agents who had no idea who I was and just telling them, hey, here's who I am. Here's what I've done. And at this point, I had some collateral. And the reason why I waited till after the exposure camp is I had something I could sell myself with. I had some footage. And I had the scouting report. So basically third party validation of my ability. So it wasn't just me telling them how good I was because anybody could do that. But I had third party validation. And of those 60 agents that I reached out to, 20 of them said, OK, send me some footage. Let me see because they needed to see with their own eyes that I could actually play. Now, this footage Again, the time frame, 2005, this footage is on this thing called a VHS tape. You remember VHS tapes? Ashton, yeah. All right. So, yeah, that's what the footage was on. So whenever one of these agents said, I want to see what you can do, I had to go to the, I went to the local grocery store or pharmacy store and I bought, I had a double-decker VCR at the time. So you could basically make a copy of a VHS tape. So I'm making copies of my own VHS tapes. I bought a 10-pack of blank VHS tapes. So I'm making copies of those tapes and mailing them out on my own dime to basketball agents all over the world. That's how I got myself seen by these agents. And of the 20 agents that I sent the footage to, only one agent called me back. Just one person called me back after they saw the footage. And that guy was interested in representing me. And he's the one who helped me get started with my pro basketball career. So if you just, just with that part alone, if I was to just stop right there, just first of all, have any idea, I can still play pro basketball after college, even though I had no offers, then looking for the exposure camps, then going to the exposure camp, then taking the footage and selling myself to agents, and then sending that footage out to all those agents. That's five times I had to take initiative just to get my first job playing pro basketball. And those five things right there, most players who come from my situation wouldn't do those. And this is why there are players who, there are diamonds in the rough like me. I'm not the only one who could have the potential to you know, do something, even though they come from a beginning that might not seem that um, destined for stardom, but they're not willing to take initiative so they don't get the opportunity. And then right after that, I took that footage and I put it on YouTube. All right, that's how I got started on YouTube. I took that VHS tape, I got it transferred onto a data CD, I put the CD in a desktop computer and I uploaded a two minute video to YouTube. That's how I got started on the internet. And that's how I started to build an audience online was by putting that video on YouTube and a bunch of basketball players start watching my video and they just started asking questions like, Hey, who taught you how to play? How often do you practice? Like, who are you? They didn't know who I was. You know, I wasn't no Kobe Bryant or LeBron James, but they're like, this guy looks like he can play, but we never heard of him, but here he is on the internet giving the game to all of us players. So I built an audience, not because they were looking for Dre Baldwin, but these basketball players were looking for some guidance. And I happened to be the one who was giving it. And as soon as I noticed that these videos I was putting out was serving an underserved audience, these are basically players who were just like me, but you no know, 10 years before, 10 years after me, they just needed someone who could show them how to play basketball. So I basically just gave them what I wish someone had given me. So I was like, man, I wish somebody had taught me how to play basketball. So let me just tell them everything that I wish somebody had told me 10 years ago. That's all I did on YouTube. I was just giving people the skills that they needed to develop that I had figured out on my own. So now I was basically shortening their learning curve. And that's how I started to build my name on the internet. And then when people started asking about mindset, I just told them about mindset. So that's all I did was just serve people based on what they were asking for. And this still what I do to this very day. And all of those times, there were so many times that I had to take initiative to make that happen. And what stops many people from creating success is not a lack of talent or opportunity. 
It's just they don't see the opportunity because they're not willing to take initiative. They're not thinking along those lines. Taking initiative, making that first move, right? Making mm-hmm. that, putting whatever your thoughts are into action and keeping at it. I think that is the biggest learning that you have. You know, those five steps that you took, those five initiatives that you took. I think they're aha moments right. for so many people listening because they're like, oh crap, it's not going to fall into my lap. And normally when people see, you know, like pro athletes or people at the top of their game, they say, ah, luck. Ah, you know, this person had right. it to them, right? They don't realize the grind that goes into getting and achieving what you've put in. So Dre, thank you so much for sharing this part of your life, you know, because it's so important for people to get that in their mind saying stuff, but they have to take that initiative and move forward. Right. I love it. These, these four pillars are fantastic. Um, I'm super excited on our next podcast that we're going to be talking about on, on the third day and your, and your book. Um, Dre, yeah. um, anything else you want to leave our audience with for this particular podcast, this episode? For this particular part is really just understanding that you're going to use all four of these elements in anything that you do. You're, you need to be disciplined, show up every single day and do that work. Confidently put yourself and your work out there boldly and authentically because that's the only way you're really going to connect with anyone on a, a deep level. Understand that just because you're following the rules and following the program that someone laid out for you doesn't mean everything's going to work for you perfectly because the rest of the world does not really care about your plans. And understanding that to get this stuff started, you have to be willing to take initiative over and over again, be willing to be the person who goes first. And when you're willing to go first, you're going to create opportunity for yourself simply by being the first one, being the first mover. They call it first mover's advantage, just being the one who moves first. So that's how those connections and opportunities get created. They're not given, they are created, and you can be the one who creates them just by showing up with your energy. Fantastic. Awesome. Jay, thank you so much. How can people get in touch with you? How can people follow what you do? Sure. Well, I'm on the platform that I use most often on a day-to-day basis, Instagram. My Instagram is just my full name, at Dre Baldwin. And I do give people a free copy of my book, The Third Day, but I guess we'll say that for the next one. And I will also, anyone who's listening to your show, I'll offer them a, three, a free uh, 30-minute Zoom session with me. They can get that by going to workonyourgameuniversity.com slash Ashton, A, and just your name, A-S-H-D-I-N. They can get a free 30-minute call with me. Fantastic. Wow, that's superb. Thank you. Thank you so much. Of Lovely. course, thank you. I'm looking forward to the next episode. <laughs> me too. If you like this podcast, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can listen to us on the IVM podcast app, or ivmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on social media. We are at IVM Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to reach out to me, I am Ashtin Doc on Twitter and Instagram. You can find lots more information on my website, awesome180.com or check out different content on my YouTube channel called A-W-E-S-O-M-E 180. That's Awesome 180.